haven't seen that many people wearing a vest since Antique Roadshow came to town. It's pretty incredible. Um, on behalf of Janet and myself, it is such a blessing and an honor to be the pastor of this incredible church and to have many of you for such long time friends. How many of you were at Owasso First Assembly before I came here in August of 2001? If you're here before, raise your hand real high. There's, there's a decent group there. How many of you have come since August 2001? Let me see your hands. Yeah, there's a few more of those. So there's a, it's a good, healthy balance of what we have here. I'm so thankful for those of you that I've known for 22 years, and uh, we appreciate you. I, I was thinking about every time in life that I, God's put me in a position somewhere, a, a, an assignment of ministry. I've always started that with the mindset I'm here for the rest of my life or until God tells me to do something different. And... Um, the first one, I was in St. Louis as a youth pastor for six years, and then I went to the district office for the Southern Missouri District as their district youth director for about seven years almost. We were in West Memphis for five and a half years. We've been here for 22, and I kind of feel like just where I'm at in life and what's going on, this is probably the last one for me. So uh, plan on being here for a little bit longer. I'm drinking energy tea now this morning, so I got, I'm revved up. Had a birthday this week. Turn 62. Uh, you can find that kind of stuff out somewhere, so I might as well tell you, make it easy on you. Um, I came here when I was 40, so that's kind of the way that works. It's hard to act like you're 37 when you've been in leadership for 22 years. It just doesn't quite mesh. We, we love you guys so much. We love our church. It is such a joy to be here uh, I don't have a foreseeable future. I do know, just looking at life, that probably out there somewhere in the future, 10 years maybe or so, there may be a shift, a transition. Uh, last night, we had several of the former deacons that we invite. We invited all of them, but several were able to come to our house for dinner last night for a, a barbecue time together. And when they left, I told Janet, I said, well, in 10 years or so, we'll be the former pastors and we'll hang out with the former deacons because we just had so much fun. We love you guys like family. Um, this is where I've lived longer than anywhere else in my life. Janet's lived here longer than anywhere else in her life. Um, this is home. And we want to keep working to advance God's kingdom and to accomplish God's will in Owasso, in Oklahoma, across the United States and all around the world. And uh, the Lord's been really good to us. And we praise him for that. Well, since your family, I want to show you a picture real quick. On Wednesday of this week, this little guy showed up. His name is Rex James, and that is Blake and Olivia's first son, our sixth grandchild. We have three boys, three girls. We are the Brady Bunch. <laughs> and, uh, and life is good. So anyway, I want to start today a series that I think is very appropriate following crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, which provides for our salvation, because I believe this with all my heart, that spiritual conversion, being born again, begins a journey of spirit-led living. 
It's not that when you get saved that, well, it's all done now and just kind of wait and hope to go to heaven one day. And No, it starts a journey of being led by the Spirit of God. In Galatians chapter 5, and I, today I gave you a little more context just to make sure you get it all. Paul writes about the importance of being led by the Spirit of God and what the Spirit of God will produce in our lives. Genesis 5, 13 through 26. Uh, today I'm reading from the modern English version, which, which kind of, it's an it's a update. It, it, they didn't take the King James and, and change those words. They went back to the original Greek and Hebrew uh, and Aramaic and even in brought it into more of a language of today, but it's in the style of King James Version, except with more modern words. So if you're a King Jameser, you'll probably like this version pretty well. By the way, I was talking with Neil Kennedy earlier, and, I, and Michael, I'm going to tell you this now. I want to do a Wednesday night class this fall. We'll see how long it goes, but it's going to be on using technology for spiritual growth. There are so many resources that are available, um, really, really good websites that have spiritual help and guidance and direction. There are some bad ones out there too. So I want to make sure we get the right ones for you. One that I love as far as just reading the Bible is called Bible Gateway. And Bible Gateway, for example, I was just looking, I got it pulled up on my phone right here. They have 55 versions of the Bible in English. So when I say I'm reading from the modern English version today, I, I normally put the, most of the text in your notes there, uh, but you can look at it later uh, on that website, and, and it's just a great place to go, Gateway uh, Bible Study. And it's just a great, great thing, and they have all these versions you can look at, and you don't have to go buy a new Bible every time. I, I have probably 50 Bibles in my office or so from from my youth all the way up to currently and different things, different ones. But I really use my computer more for reading the Word, studying the Word, than I use the paper and ink Bibles. And I know for some of that us that may be like, oh, I hate to see that happen. It's not the paper and the ink that make it the Word of God. And younger generation will continually go more for technology to find these things out. So I'm thankful that there's a site called Gateway Bible Studies that has 55 versions of Scripture. The NIV, I mean, you, you probably can't name one that, that's a good one. They, they don't have the bad ones on there, by the way, because there's a few that some crazy people come up with trying to preach their own dogma, and, and, and that's why we're going to do this class, so I can kind of help you figure those things out. But this is a great uh, conservative site, theologically conservative site, but it's in your notes there. I think it may be on the screens. Galatians 5, 13 through 26, Paul writes, You brothers have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty to give an opportunity to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For the entire law is fulfilled in one word. He says one word, but he doesn't say what the one word is. He says the phrase, but the one word of the entire law is this, love. Love God, love people, love. That is God's command for all of us. Uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you're not consumed by one another. 
And isn't it a shame when people get into such entrenched feuds and arguments that you can look from a distance and see it and you know clearly no one is going to win in this situation. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you know this about me. Most of you know this about me. I've been uh, selected in our district by the district pastors to be one of our executive presbyters, which basically means I get to go to mean churches and deal with mean people. I don't think they like me for giving me that job. And I was at a church not, well, it's been, it's been several years ago now, a church several years ago, and they're feuding and fighting. And, and uh, in this situation specifically, some things have been done that probably weren't wise and nothing that was horrible, but just foolishness and not, not smart things. And uh, I'm there looking at the situation and, and uh, the man that's there with me, we ask everybody to leave and we talk for a minute. And I said, you know, here's the problem. No matter what we decide, this church is going to be damaged. It's so hard to make a decision when there's not a win. It's like, well, which is the lesser evil? <laughs> but the feud is so strong between these people that there's no possibility of reconciliation. When they came back in, one of the guys in the group said, you'll regret the day you made this decision. Sometimes I speak rather quickly. This was one of those moments. I said, I regret having to come here tonight. I regret having to leave my house, leave my wife, and, and eat a quick dinner so I could come here and meet with you guys because you can't get along. If we're not careful, the devil loves nothing more than to create a mindset among Christians of competition, a mindset of rivalry, so that he doesn't have to worry about fighting us because we're fighting each other. Paul says, be careful. If you, devour, if you bite and devour one another, take heed. You're not concerned that you're, you all go away. I say then, walk in the spirit. For the flesh, lust against the spirit. The word lust there means has desires that are contrary to the spirit. And the spirit has desires that are contrary to the flesh. They are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. For more information, read Romans 7. Paul talks about it in depth there. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are revealed, which are these. I preached on this a year ago or so which are adultery, sexual immorality, impurity, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, rage, selfishness, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warn you, as I previously warned you, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. God, I thank you for your word today. It is already blessed because it is your word. I pray now that you would open our ears and our hearts to receive what your Spirit would speak to us today. And I give you praise for your faithfulness and goodness in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Paul identifies this journey of spirit-led living as being identified with what he calls the fruit of the spirit. Now, I may get back to this in just a moment, but the only thing that, that, that I don't like about that, and you know, I'm not going to correct Paul, but unfortunately, most of us, our generation, we hear fruit of the Spirit, and we just get kind of silly and goofy, and we think of a cluster of grapes, and we think it's like something you teach little kids, but it's kind of basic and whatever. And, it's, and this is some of the most powerful things that we can understand. This is a clear way for you to measure your life and determine, are you becoming like Jesus or not? Because the definition that's given here of the fruit of the Spirit is a description of Jesus Christ. These are things that are commanded us in the Word of God. There's nothing optional in this list. And so, becoming like Jesus means developing the fruit of the Spirit in your life for the next nine weeks. We're going to look at one a week, and we're starting with love today. But I want to give a little background on the the entire thing of what the fruit of the Spirit means. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. It's not the fruits. It's not different things, and you pick and choose what you want. I'll take some love. I'll take some joy. Forget self-control. I don't need patience. Some of you have got that T-shirt that says, I was, my patience was tested, and I failed. So... We kind of look at life, what we want, what we need, what we think is right. But Scripture tells us, and by the way, it's contrasted with the works, plural, of the flesh. It's also compared to the gifts, plural, of the Spirit. But there is the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. And all nine of these things speak of one thing, which is a Christ-like life. It's a singular word, not what you get to pick and choose, which you prefer to develop. The fruit is divine, not human. It's not you trying better or doing more. When you live, I I think the, the CEV, contemporary English version, says it this way. I love this. If you are guided by the Spirit, you won't obey your selfish desires. That's verse 16 of chapter 5 here in Galatians. If you are guided by the Spirit, you won't Obey your selfish desires. The spirit and your desires are enemy. They're always fighting each other and keeping you from doing what you feel you should. But if you obey the spirit, the law of Moses has no control over you. Now, let me explain what what Paul is saying here. He's saying that if you are growing in the fruit of the spirit in your life, you're becoming more loving, more joyful, more patient, more kind, more good, more self-controlled. If you're growing in those things... No one will have to come and put laws around you to restrict you. You're going to stay in a safe zone as a a proper behavior because you're becoming like Jesus. I remember years ago, a friend of our family, I was a little boy when this story happened. He was driving, he he had a VW Bug like back in the 60s, okay? And he's driving his Volkswagen Beetle. And uh, he gets pulled over by a highway patrolman for speeding. And the highway patrolman says, I clocked you doing 92. And the friend of our family said, that's impossible. This car is well known, well documented, cannot exceed 80 miles an hour. 
so you cannot give me a ticket. Now, whether it was going that fast or not, I don't know. But if you have a law in your life that is stronger than the other things that are out there, you don't have to worry about the law of Moses because the fruit of the Spirit is well within the parameter of the law of Moses. If the fruit of the Spirit's in your life, you're not going to be out past the excesses that lead to sin. Let the fruit of the Spirit be in you, and you're going to be in a good place. This fruit is from God. It's divine. It's, it's, not, it's not human in nature. You can't produce it. God produces it. God's Spirit produces God's fruit. So you need to live by the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit day by day, yielding to the Spirit hour by hour, depending on the Spirit moment by moment. Now let me tell you how you're going to get in trouble in your spiritual journey of growing in the fruit of the Spirit is if you try to make it happen by showing up twice a month. It requires a total daily commitment, moment by moment, depending on the Holy Spirit to guide you, yielding every day to him, every thought to him, every moment to him. And in in the thing that we wrote several years ago for our church, a covenant we ask you all to be a part of, one of the things that that it said in there is this, if I, after examination, realize that I have erred in failing to, to keep the command or this commitment to God that I have talked about. And if, if you don't have a copy of it, I'll get you one. But it's all very biblical, spiritual things. If I realize that I have failed in becoming what God wants me to be, I've failed in honoring him, I will repent immediately. The, here's the truth of life. We all make mistakes. How many of you know someone in the room that makes a mistake? Point right now. No, 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 just kidding. We all make mistakes. We often make mistakes that even yield towards sin. But the the way to get over that is when that happens is to repent immediately. Now, repent means more than saying, I'm sorry. Repent means changing your direction. You move away from. Some of you, it's kind of like if somebody brings over a great dessert, you know, wonderful pie or delicious cookies or something and you say well I really shouldn't have one and you eat one and you go wow that's so good you know I, I, I really shouldn't have ate that first one <laughs> and the hand just keeps going back repenting means you say put the cookies in the trash take them to the neighbor The problem is, a lot of Christians, they treat sin like those cookies. And rather than get rid of it, rather than destroy it, they try to control it. You're never called to control the sin nature of your life. You're called to crucify it. Love comes from God. The acts of the sinful nature are are things that you do. They're your works, your actions. But the fruit of the Spirit is something God does. He develops his fruit in you through the Holy Spirit. Love comes from God. Romans chapter 5 tells us in verse 6, 8, and 10 that he displayed his love for us when we were ungodly, when we were unworthy, when we were undeserving enemies of him. The greatest validation of your spiritual 
of your spirituality is the growth of spiritual fruit. And we'll look at some of that more in just a moment. Spiritual gifts present or display your ministry, but, fear, but spiritual fruit shows your maturity. They're both good. They don't compete with each other. But how many of you have ever known someone who, who had a spiritual gift in their life? You know, they had something God had placed in them for the help of the church. And by the way, there's at least four, probably five lists in the New Testament. There's other things referred to in the Old Testament. It's not just 1 Corinthians 12, the nine things there. Those are nine of them, but there are others. One is the, the gift of encouragement. Encouragement means that I cause people to have more courage, that I bring life to them. I've known people who had a spiritual gift, but they didn't have spiritual fruit. There have been ministers through the years who have been used by God in in dramatic ways, but later on we find out there's some, some heinous sin in their life. And how does that all work? Because spiritual gifts only show your ministry. Spiritual fruit shows your maturity. And I would plead with you this morning, it is imperative that we grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Let me just give you this, probably more of a conclusion, I'm not concluding, but more of a conclusion thought than, than, than here, but I'm going to throw it in. How do, what, what are steps we take in this process? I, th- I think I got this from a guy named um, somebody, it's on the internet, I don't know, I I had his name and I just lost it. But I can show you the document if you want to see it. He said there's three things you do. Number one, you weed the garden if you want spiritual fruit to grow. That means you kill your sinful nature daily, alertly, paying attention. He said, secondly, not only do you kill the, kill the weed or weed the garden, but you water the garden. Secondly, how do you do that? Through the Word of God. You read the Word of God. The Word of God and the Spirit of God go together. Back to our covenant we made a few years back. We've done it twice. One of the points in there said this, I will obey the word of God and the spirit of God immediately and completely. Boy, isn't that a great heart to have? I'm going to do exactly what God tells me to do through his spirit speaking in me to his word as I read it. And I will not have to, you know, I don't know if anybody's ever done this. I've heard about people doing this. And I think how... Ridiculous, just to be honest. When you read the Word of God and you find direction for your life, and somebody says, Well, I need to pray about that. No, you don't. You just need to do it. Let me help you out. How foolish would it be when my kids were home if I would have assigned one of them a task to do? And they would say, Well, Dad, before I do that, I need to get back with you tomorrow and see if you still want me to do it or not. No, go clean your room, go mow the yard. Whatever I just told you to do, do it now. How many of you know that as children of God, obedience is a mark of having spiritual fruit in your life? And the last thing is you remain in the vine. Three things about love today, kind of quickly. Number one, love is elementary. The primary Christian virtue is love. A form of agape, the word we all know for love, is in the New Testament, hundred. Uh, the word agape is in there 116 times, in other forms, count for about another 150 times. The primary command for believers in their relationship with each other, anybody want to guess what that is? Love one another. You know how many times that that phrase in some form is in the New Testament? 16 times. Wow. 
You think God's trying to get a point across to us? It is essential. It is fundamental. It is basic that we love one another. Now, the Greek language has several words for love. Uh, You've seen that. C.S. Lewis wrote a great book about it. And there was a commercial on the Super Bowl a year and a half ago or so that talked about it. And talked about having a love that's uh, selfless and whatever. And the four main words that are given from the Greek language... And I want to tell you something today that I bet you didn't know. I didn't know it before I got digging into this and reading it. Phileo, we all know that one. Phileo is, is Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It, it's the camaraderie that you have with friends, you know, uh, the three musketeers, you know, one for all and all for one. That, that, that's phileo. It, it's this commitment that's warm and embracing and... and um, it's, it's probably what we would use to describe fellowship. The only problem with phileo love is this. It can be lost. It can drift apart. You can lose common interest. Phileo love is not necessarily guaranteed for life. Anybody ever have a close friend years ago that you're not close friends with anymore? Not a judgment question. Maybe you moved. Maybe whatever happened, things in life changed. I was talking to someone last week that was here for Easter week, and, and I hadn't seen him in a few years. And my, our sons used to play baseball together. When they were playing baseball, I saw him all the time. We were up on what's going on in each other's life. I haven't seen him. My son graduated in 2013, so almost 10 years ago now. And I probably haven't seen him five times in the last 10 years. So last week when we talked, we had a a warm conversation because phileo love was there, that brotherly love, but we didn't have a whole lot of detail to discuss. Phileo love can kind of move in and out based on situation and circumstance. Another word is storge love. It's only used twice in the Bible, and both times it's used in the negative to talk about people who've lost natural affection for family members. This word to me sums up thoughts of respect, appreciation, acceptance. Unfortunately, we all know this, either by experience or observation, that sometimes that family love can turn sour. Rivalries, jealousy, it's amazing that at moments when people should pull together and help each other out, that often is the moment they divide. When someone passes away and they should love each other and encourage each other in that moment, but what happens sometimes? Well, how much of the inheritance is he getting and what are they getting? Did I get my part? And things can happen. God forbid. I... I have an opinion here. Basically, spend as much money as you can before you die. (laughs) Then people won't argue about what you left them. If they would argue about it, you should spend it. You know people better than I do, so do whatever works. Another word, not used in the New Testament, but very much a Greek word, was the the word eros. This speaks of a romantic love. It's based on attractiveness. It's based on feelings. It's based on excitement. Um, It's what we think of probably romance would be the right word for us to think of eros love. Unfortunately, not everybody who comes to the front and says, do you promise to love, cherish, and for the rest of your life? Yeah, I I do. (laughs) 
I do. They, some of them might, maybe should say if they were honest, maybe. Because it doesn't always last. You look in the paper every day and see a list of people who decided that it wasn't worth continuing on because they had Eros love, but they didn't have agape love. And if you don't have agape love, even in your Eros love of your romantic love with your spouse, if you don't have agape love, then the first time that you notice something isn't the way it used to be and it's not maybe quite as good. See, here's the reality. We all grow older. That's mandatory. Growing up is optional. Growing older is mandatory. And in my mind, I think I can still run and do all the things like I could do when I was 26. And then my grandkids can outrun me now. And I'm like, let me get the golf cart and then we'll see what happens. (laughs) You just have to retool as you get older. That's just the way it goes. Eros love by itself often becomes an end Eros love can be destroyed. It often ends in divorce. It can often end in heartache. It can often end in just hatred. It's amazing, especially like watching things on TV or whatever about a couple that, you know, they're so in love and, and how one thing can happen and boom. I mean, it goes from like, I love you with all of my heart to the end of the world to I can't stand you. Eros love can be fickle. Agape love, a selfless love that lasts forever, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says it never falls, never ends, never quits, never gives up. Agape love, and here's the part I didn't know that I bet you didn't know either, was almost completely lacking in pre-biblical Greek. It wasn't a word that was used very much before the Bible took it and used it. I think it's probably designed by God, that's my opinion, Because the use of agape set the stage for New Testament usage where the fresh, unsoiled word could be used to describe the love of God for us. Now, it wasn't that agape was such a noble word when they began to use it, but it became a noble word because it was employed to tell about a noble God. A God who says, I will love you to a thousand generations. That's, that is just, that, that's, that's mind-blowing. I have loved you with an everlasting love. The God who comes alongside and says, the love that I have you is not based on you, it's based on me. This agape love does not find its root in the attractiveness of the object being love, the goodness, the friendliness, but rather it finds its place in the nobleness of God. Agape love is chosen by the will of the one who loves, not the loveliness of the one who is loved. It's a love that is freely given without counting the cost or calculating one's own profit. It goes deeper than mere emotion. It lasts longer than attractiveness and reaches wider than mere bloodline. I happen to see uh, on Facebook, which I'm not on very much, uh, if you ever want to get a hold of me, Facebook is like the last way to do it. Uh, If you need my cell number, it's on a card out front. Pick it up and text me. That's probably the best way to get me. But I saw on Facebook a picture of a guy I've known for a long time. Many of you know him, a guy named Dave Reaver. He's been an Assembly of God evangelist for years and years and years. And he was uh, in the Vietnam War, 
And when he, was, when he was in battle one day, a sniper shot a grenade, a phosphorus grenade that went off right by him in his hand right here, blew fingers off, blew his face apart, his ear apart. And he tells this story, but he lived, obviously. He survived all of that. And he tells the story of being in the hospital room and, and his wife is coming to see him for the first time. And, and truly, if you've seen today, it's obvious he's been in a major accident. I can only imagine what it would have looked like days after it happened and how bad he must have looked. And he said, I'm sitting there and I'm watching other women come into their husbands and take their wedding rings off and leave it on the guy's chest and say, I can't be married to you anymore. And he said, I'm just, I'm worried so much. What is my wife going to say when she sees me looking like this? Realizing how handicapped I'm going to be going forward. All of the hurdles that I'm going to have to deal with on a daily basis. And he said, she came in. And he said his first words to her were something like this. I'm so sorry, baby. I'm so sorry. And she said, well, what, what do you mean you're sorry? He says, well, I look awful. And she said back to him, you were never that good looking to begin with. <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines ever. You know what she was doing? She was using humor, kind of a backhanded compliment, I guess, to say to him, I agape you. Yeah, there's eros love, there's romantic love here, but there's something much stronger than that. It's an agape love that says, I'm here for you. And I don't remember how long ago it's been now, just a couple of years ago. His precious wife of probably over 50 years went home to be with Jesus. And their love lasted for their whole life. I'm not primarily talking about marriage today, although that's one aspect of it. But I'm telling you that love must have a sense of permanence to it if it's going to be the love that we should have for one another. Secondly, not only is love elementary, but it's essential. Paul says five things in 1 Corinthians 13 that he compares to love. And he basically says about these five things, if you don't have love, they're a zero. They're a nothing. They, they have no value if you don't have love. Now, he picked five things that we all are attracted to, that we all think are phenomenal. He starts off and he says, if I can speak with tongues of men and angels, if I have eloquence that I can speak in such a way as to control a crowd. Now, everyone who's ever spoken publicly would love to have that gift. There are days that it comes out better, days not so good. There are days that words are quick and days that you hunt and search for a word in your mind of what you're trying to say. Paul says, even if I had the ability to speak with the best skills altogether of eloquence, of angels and of men, but I don't have love, I sound like a loud banging symbol. He goes on to say, love is more significant than spiritual gifts. And if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, uh, and, I have not, and I have faith so I can move mountains, I am nothing. And talking about faith there, we know what, what the writer of Hebrews says about faith. Without faith, what? It's impossible to please God. 
Yet Paul says here, without love, faith is a zero. Now, now what am I telling you? We cannot compartmentalize our life where I'm really good on faith, but I'm not doing so good in the fruit. I got some gifts. Listen, this morning, developing the fruit of the Spirit in your life is evidence of the fact that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you are led by the Spirit. And if the fruit is not there, there's a big problem. You need to have, as we often say, a come to Jesus meeting. A moment where you come and say, Lord, help me and be with me. It's more valuable than philanthropy. If I give all the, my, my goods to feed the poor, and more important than martyrdom. You know, I, I go up to Voice of the Martyrs every once in a while. Up in Bartlesville, you need to go there sometime and see it. If you want to go, I'll go with you and, and show it to you. But they show all the martyrs who've given their faith given their life for their faith in Christ. And I'm so moved every time I go there and see that. But Paul says, even if you do that, but you don't have love, there is zero profit. Let me conclude today by telling you love is also excellent. Colossians three fourteen above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, then down to verse 13, says, Love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. You know, the reality is this. All nine of the aspects of the fruit that are described here are all accentuated. They are all strengthened by love. In actuality, without love, the others cannot exist. What does it say here in this, in this passage? Love rejoices at truth. Love is not easily provoked. It is peaceful. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gracious and generous. Love never ends. Love is humble and gentle. Love is discipline and control. I want to encourage you this morning to grow in love. Ephesians 5, 2, Paul says this. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. In other words, am I loving pretty good? Do I like people and I'm nice to them and tolerate the ones I don't like it's not the measurement we're to love following the example of Christ think about think about Jesus on the cross the excruciating pain that he's gone through the emotional wreckage the lion is awake. And in that moment, he cries out to God. His words are much different than mine would have been. 
I would have said, Father, remember their names. I kind of like get the spirit of the Alamo in me. You know, remember the Alamo. Father, remember. Make, make note. Take record. Get them back, God. What does Jesus say? We all know it so well. And we see it just as such a little casual thing to consider. But in the midst of his suffering, he says, Father, forgive them. That's love. That's love. That is love. You need to consider God's love for you on a regular basis. You know, I, I don't always do this myself. You know, I listen to different things on the radio, but I would encourage you to make a habit of, of listening to Christian music at least the majority of your time when you're listening to something in your car because it's going to remind you of the love of God. It's going to remind you of, of the goodness of God. Consider regularly the love that God has for you. Second thing you got to do to grow in love is forgive completely and quickly. See, forgiveness is not about the other person as much as it is about you. They haven't earned my forgiveness. Guess what? They never will. That's not, if you go there, you're going to be bitter and angry your whole life. They said something that was unfair. That's life. Don't make it hard. Don't put up some barrier that's going to destroy your own life. When you've been wronged, forgive and forget. Now, now there's wisdom. I, you know, I don't have time to go through everything in the fullness in this time that I have right now. It doesn't mean that, that you give them your full trust again. You're not going to hold it against them. You're not, you're not going to make that something you think about and dwell on. How they hurt you. What they did to you. Learn to forgive quickly and completely. Honor others above yourself. That's one way you show love. Look for someone to help. James writes some really incredible words about love. And he says, if you see a brother in need and you don't help that person... How can you say the love of God dwells in you? There's wisdom. There's accountability. There's having a long-term plan. But look for ways that we can help. Here's the key. As we daily yield ourselves to God's will, we will learn to walk in the spirit. And the, the flesh becomes increasingly subdued. I kind of look at it like as a scale. Not saved or not saved, but just developing the fruit of the Spirit. The more you put God's character in your life, the more you think about that, the more you let the Holy Spirit, you yield your life to the Holy Spirit, you let him dwell in you, the more that side gets heavier and all the pull of the flesh gets much lighter. Be filled with the Spirit of God. You cannot Develop the fruit of the Spirit unless the Spirit of God dwells in you. Make no provision for the flesh. Romans 13, 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and do not make provision for the flesh to fulfill its desires. 
Romans 8, 14 says, For as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. They are the children of God. They are the family of God because they are led by the Spirit. So this morning, I want to ask you a couple things as we, as we wrap this up. Number one, if you're here today and you've not accepted the love of God in your life, it, it may seem there's a lot of barriers, a lot of things you got to get through and get over. Here's the beautiful thing about God's love for you. He accepts you just as you are, right where you are. There's not, there's not things you need to get right before he can do what he does. You simply call out to him and say, Lord, I need your love in my life. I need your forgiveness. John wrote this. John's the apostle of love. Love is like 98 times, I think, the word love in the book of John. The other three gospels, it's in there like 30 times total or something. It's like three times as much John as the the other synoptic gospels. And then you get back to the letters of John, and they're all about love. John says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Say, maybe you're here today, you don't have the love of God in your life, and you need you see more of it. And I'll tell you this, grow in it every day. Because the devil is such a deceiver that if you're not growing it every day, he'll tell you you've lost it. Grow in the love of God. Grow in the love of God. Confess your sin. That, that, that's maybe a first group. Second group, maybe you're here today, and you would say this, I need to yield my life to the Holy Spirit. That's not for a select few. That's for every believer. I need to yield my life to the Holy Spirit every day. Let him control. Let him direct. Let him guide. And lastly, maybe just ask you how many of you, because there is a partnership. We yield to him, but then we yield to his promptings, and we take actions to grow in love ourselves. We have responsibility. There's a, there's a partnership. The good news is he's the major partner. You're the minor partner. He'll provide all the resources. You just show up. You make yourself available. Would you bow your heads with me today? If you're watching online, I encourage you to do the same thing right now. How many in the room would say, I need God's love of forgiveness in my life? There are things that haunt me. There are things that keep me pushed down, weighted down. But I know God's forgiveness is strong, and I receive his love and his goodness in my life. I need that today. Would you raise your hand all across the room if you're watching at home? Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, once you get God's forgiveness, walk in it. Don't let the devil keep you in bondage. I'm going to pray for all of you in just a moment. How many of you, in a second thing, will say with me, I need to let the Holy Spirit have control of my life. I need to be led by the Spirit of God more than I am. That's something I need to to, to make the commitment today, to yield my life to the Holy Spirit. Would you raise your hand if that's you today? I need to do that. I need to give the Holy Spirit control. Let me ask the last question. How many of you join me and say, I want the love of God to fill my life so that it overflows and touches people around me. I want to grow in love because that's part of the fruit of the Spirit and the primary part. Would you join me and lift your hand right now? God, let your love be in me. Let the love of God be the fruit of my life because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand together all across the room? Our prayer team's gonna come to the front right now. 
And if you need prayer for something, I invite you to come and let one of them join you. I want to lead in a prayer. Prayer team, if you'll come right now, just across the front. And if you need prayer, I invite you to come right now, even as I'm praying. And they're going to join with you in prayer for God's provision, God's help in your life, in your situation. Join me in this prayer. Father, I thank you for people who are sensitive and who say that they need to have sins forgiven. God, I thank you that there's no sin that's too big for you to cover. You wash them all away, never to be seen again, never to be remembered. And Lord, I pray right now for cleansing of the minds of individuals who who struggle with sin and what they've done and to know that now forgiveness has come and all things have been made new by the blood of Jesus. We are forgiven and cleansed when we confess our sin. And Jesus, I thank you for that. Lord, I pray for those right now who recognize that maybe they haven't yielded their life completely to the Spirit. They're doing their own agenda. They're doing their own thing. And they maybe consult you occasionally, God, but they're not being led by you. I pray, Lord, that you would give us an awareness of the necessity of being led by the Spirit, that you will put us in the right place at the right time every day. And as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the children of God. Lord, I pray for all of us that you would let love grow. Let love grow in our hearts, one for another. Lord, I thank you that the command's given to us 16 times in the New Testament that tells us to love one another. Lord, I truly believe if we can't get that right, we're going to struggle with all the rest. May we be a people of love, encouragement, and strength. And may your grace meet our every need. We thank you for your love, and we ask that you would help us to walk in that same love also. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want prayer,